Hola, ¿qué tal? It's Paul here with another episode of the When in Spain podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are around the world. Hope you're well. Well, I'm back in Madrid after our holidays to Portugal, which you may have heard about in the previous episode of When in Spain, our side trip to Portugal, Lisbon and Madeira. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Sorry it was so long, <laughs> about an hour and a half. Ironically, I think the longest podcast episode I've made so far in the last two years, uh, which wasn't about Spain. But anyway, back in Madrid. And as you may hear during this episode, I've got my uh, balcony windows wide open. It's pretty hot here. So you might hear some sounds of the barrio in the background. Bueno, no pasa nada. In this episode, I am going to run through the answers to all of the questions that you posed to me uh, following the question that I put to you guys, the listeners, uh, in the When in Spain Facebook group and on the When in Spain Instagram account. And my question to you guys was, ask me anything. Anything you like. And Well, not, all, not anything. Not the meaning of life. Spain-related questions. Ask me anything about Spain, about moving to Spain, about living here, life here, working here, how I did it, why I did it. Thank you so much to everyone who got in touch with your fantastic questions. And I hope I can do them justice. I think I can. Some of the questions were very general and very big questions. Some of them I'm going to struggle a bit to, to give you a definitive answer, but I'll try my best. Uh, why did I decide to do this episode? <laughs> well, I've noticed actually a lot of uh, bloggers and YouTubers and indeed podcasters like myself. It seems to be quite fashionable at the moment to do episodes uh, with this question, ask me anything. Now, not in a narcissistic way. I'm not really up for talking endlessly about myself, but I did think that it would elicit some uh, good questions and in return allow me to provide you guys with some useful information, which in turn would be useful for all all of the listeners. So what I've decided to do, I've decided to break this uh, topic down into two separate episodes because there's quite a lot to get through, a lot of questions. I think it's all useful information, but to make it easier for you guys to kind of digest, I decided to publish it in uh, two separate episodes. So in this first episode, I'm going to be talking about my personal insights, my personal story of moving to Spain. I'm also going to be talking about moving to Spain in general, and I'm going to be talking about COVID-19. And at the end of this part one episode, I'm going to be talking about the When in Spain podcast itself. So all about the podcast, the various questions you've asked me about the show. So just before we get into it, I'd just like to say a very big thank you to New When in Spain patron. And that new When in Spain patron is Mimi Witt. Mimi Witt, I believe you're out in the States. I think you're a Spanish teacher from the message you sent me. Thank you so much for signing up to support the podcast and the work that I do uh, in putting it together and bringing it to you. If anyone else listens to this show or is new to it or has been listening to it for ages and ages and uh, would like to show uh, your support for the podcast by making a small monthly donation, you can do it securely and easily via the crowdfunding website called patreon.com. Patreon.com forward slash when in Spain will take you to the page where you can look at the different tiers and where you can sign up as well. Anyone who pledges over $5 per month will get access to when in Spain bonus content.
Okay then, let's crack on, because we have got quite a lot to get through, actually. <laughs> so let's start off with the first questions in my section called Personal, um, kind of about my story, I suppose. And some of the questions were kind of very similar, so I'll just run through them, and then I'll kind of give an answer to all of them. And I've got Lisa Wright, who asked me, Hi, Paul, uh, where do you live in Spain and why? I've got uh, from iMac Isaac, what prompted your move to Spain in the first place? Uh, question from Oswald Perez. Uh, hi, Oswald, a long-term listener and Wedding Spain patron. Um, he says, at what point did you realise that Spain is the place where I want to live permanently? Uh, Tom Bingham says, you mentioned about previously listening to material which transported you to Spain when you were commuting, etc. But what was the biggest factor motivator that made you take the leap and move? So where do I start? Well, let's start by saying that for Lisa, um, I live in Madrid. I live in the centre of Madrid in the neighbourhood called La Latina. Uh, on one of the little side streets just off where they set up the uh, weekly Sunday Rastro Market, which at the moment isn't happening because of COVID-19. That's where I live uh, with Karina, my fiancé. Why did I choose Madrid? Well, actually, it was kind of by accident. When I was first thinking about moving to Spain or indeed starting to make plans to move to Spain. I was open to living really uh, in any of the big cities in Spain. So I was applying for jobs here in Madrid. I was applying for jobs in Barcelona. I was applying for jobs in Valencia. And I think I even applied for a job down in Malaga. So I wanted to be in a big city. Um, and I wasn't really too bothered as to where, although I will admit that I think my first choices were probably Barcelona and Valencia and that is because I was keen to live by the sea um, because I come from Oxford in the UK which is right in the center of England you know probably one of the furthest points you can get from the sea and I like the sea and when I moved to Spain I thought well this is my opportunity to live in a nice warm climate by the sea um, but I ended up in Madrid again probably the furthest point in Spain from the sea almost I ended up coming to Madrid because I had a job offer here with a social media company doing marketing and uh, content writing in my previous life I worked for about 12 years as a broadcast journalist in the UK and then I moved into kind of corporate communications so I was applying for jobs all around Spain the one that came up uh, which was the best option and which uh, I didn't have to wait too long before starting was actually here in Madrid. Now, around that time, as luck would have it, I met my fiancée Karina in my hometown of Oxford. She's Ecuadorian, but has grown up in Spain nearly all of her life. She's been here about 20 odd years. We met in Oxford, we started dating um, and she said to me, well, I'm moving back to Madrid, uh, you know, in six months time, what are we gonna do? Where's our relationship gonna go? And I was like, don't worry, um, let's move back together if you're up for that, because I've got a, a job lined up. Uh, well, I've got a, I hadn't agreed to the job, but I was uh, uh, considering accepting the job. So that's how it worked out. That's why I ended up in Madrid. Well, not ended up, because that sounds like, you know, it was not really where I wanted to be. I'd been to Madrid before on a couple of occasions, and I'd liked it, but I'd also been to Barcelona and really liked it. I'd been to Valencia and really liked Valencia. Um, but that's, that's, why, that's why Madrid, um, for the job, was the best option. And at the time to, uh, well, 
keep the relationship with <laughs> with Karina as well. So we actually moved back from the UK uh, to Madrid together. To answer the other question really about what prompted the move, why did I want to leave the UK, when did I realise, uh, what was the biggest factor or motivator, um, to be honest with you, I think I'd known for a long time, I think really since I was a teenager, I never really saw myself living in the UK forever. I don't know really why. Uh, in my younger years, in my 20s, I kind of had my heart set on moving to France. Then I spent uh, some time in the United States, which I'll come on to a bit in a minute. And I moved back to the UK, from the United States, that is. And I just had this kind of itch to live in a different country. You know, I love languages, I love different cultures. And I knew that I couldn't really see myself spending the rest of my life living in the same country, as much as I do love the UK. Oswald asks, you know, what point did I realise? I think really it was a collection of moments that kind of built up over a series of years, really, that pushed me to make the move to Spain or to pushed me to consider moving to Spain. I think really I worked as a journalist for many years in London, for about seven years, eight years I was in London, and I just grew really tired of London. I hated the hectic life, the stress, the commuting... Uh, the weather. I mean, London, sorry for anyone who's living in London, listens to this and they may disagree, but in my personal opinion, London in the winter is a very depressing place. And uh, a close friend of mine around that time had made the move to Valencia. Uh, he now lives in Barcelona, but my friend Chris moved to Valencia. Uh, I went out and visited him, kind of saw the lifestyle, was really envious of the beautiful weather. Um, he was uh, speaking Spanish, he was improving his Spanish, he was making new friends. All of the kind of outdoors culture there while I was visiting him uh, really kind of stayed with me. And I went back to London, back to the grind, sitting on the Northern Line on a cold February morning, thinking, no, I don't want to do this. Now, I must also say that really, uh, in terms of my career, the only place really to, to make any kind of successful living in journalism, realistically, is in London. I did do a spell back in my hometown of Oxford, which I absolutely adore. It's a beautiful city. It's my hometown. You know, I have a strong emotional attachment to the place. But in terms of uh, career opportunities, there really wasn't much there. And, you know, when you spend your almost your whole life growing up in a small town you kind of know it you're bored of it and I wanted something different I wanted to move on and there wasn't anywhere else really in the UK that really screamed out and thought oh I must go and spend two years living in Birmingham or I must go and live in Edinburgh or Cardiff or where or Manchester or any other cities around around the UK so for me the logical choice was um, abroad and I think Spain for me because of its climate its easygoing lifestyle it's very much outdoors lifestyle was what sort of planted the seed for me what really started pushing me was I decided to start learning Spanish and teaching myself Spanish in the UK. And through doing that, I uh, had a number of intercambios or meetups with Spaniards living in my hometown of Oxford. And over a period of months and years, I became really good friends with a number of these uh, Spaniards living in the UK, living in Oxford. And I started hanging around with them as friends and they became very close friends. They started inviting me back to Spain to visit their families, to go to ferias, to go to weddings, to go to birthdays days and I think that was for me uh, that it was those selection of moments being kind of parachuted in through my Spanish friends into this authentic deep 
Spain was what really made me fall in love with the country. Uh, and my friends were from all different parts of Spain, so I got to experience, you know, life in the north, in the centre, here in Madrid, in Andalusia, big city life small town life, really through my Spanish friends, a bit of everything. And I was basically coming to Spain, you know, four times a year or more, as much as I could, to experience this Spanish way of life, this kind of España profunda, I suppose. And I think uh, to answer your question, Oswald, that was the point. It was those collection of moments over the course of a couple of years that uh, really swung it for me. I think I thought to myself, I need to live this, not just a couple of times a year. I want to live this (laughs) all the time. I think for me also, and I think also for a lot of British people in particular, Spain to a certain degree was already a country which I had a certain, felt comfortable to me, felt like I kind of knew it a little bit from family holidays when I was a kid. Parents and me often went on the typical kind of giddy package holiday to the costas when I was a when I was a kid and a teenager so you know I knew Spain through that kind of lens I suppose so I felt comfortable with it um but I think really what I love about Spain and what I kind of discovered through making Spanish friends and my various trips here before moving here was just you know the fact that the traditions uh, in Spain still hold really really true uh, they take their traditions in all of the different parts regions of Spain very very seriously the kind of regional differences that I really love I think is fantastic the kind of idiosyncrasies around those uh, regional differences as well I find fascinating because for me I think that's something we've kind of lost in the UK now you know the food in the UK is more or less the same wherever you go there aren't there isn't this history of each town or city having its own special kind of party or fiesta or feria and things like this um I just felt, I, for me, I just felt Spain uh, just had more of an authentic feel to it. And, uh, and I've mentioned this in previous episodes that there was something about Spain and coming here and spending a lot of time here that kind of transported me back to an era in England, which had long gone, you know, that things here move more slowly. It's a little bit more old fashioned a little bit more gritty, maybe, um, that kind of thing. It was, for me, a little bit, and I don't mean this in a patronising way, but a little bit like moving back in time slightly, if that makes sense. So Nancy Cushing Sparaccio, I hope that's the right pronunciation, Nancy. Nancy asks, how did you meet your fiancé, Karina? Well, Karina is right here with me on the podcast. Karina, how did we first meet? I went to Oxford to improve my English. I knew this website, Conversation Exchange website, because I use it in, in Madrid. And then I sent some message to some people to practice my English. I was looking for some people who wanted to improve their Spanish. I got one girl who was 25 years and another guy who was 56. I was really happy with these two people because they didn't speak in Spanish at all. So I, I could, you know, speak more and practice more and they were correcting me a lot. And then I lost one of them, the 56 years old guy. Then I saw Paul's email and then I, I sent you an uh, email back. Yeah, that's right. That's how we met, uh, an intercambio through the website Conversation Exchange. What did we do the first time we met? Can you remember? Because I was <laughs> I was looking for a book, an English book. I asked you if you knew some bookshops there in Oxford because I was there just 
two weeks before I met you. Was it only two weeks? Yeah. I thought it was longer. No, I think two weeks, two weeks or three. Yeah. Mm. So I didn't know the the city. Mm. So I, I needed, you know, advice. <laughs> so we ended up when we first met going straight to a bookshop to look for this. I think it was a grammar book, was yeah. it, that you wanted? Yeah, an yeah. English grammar book. And then what did we do after that? So we went to a pub, like every single uh, British person. Of course, of course, that's what we're going to do. Yeah, we went and had a, a, a pint in a pub garden in the centre of Oxford. And we had a long chat. Now, we were talking for quite a long time. Yeah, we spent like three hours together, no? And we, we had a really good chat. What was one of the first things you said to me which made me laugh? <laughs> Still, I always bring this up. Yes, you always. You like, you like that story, no? <laughs> but I was doing this, you know, conversations, exchange with other people here in Madrid. And I met um, Americans and English people. And most of them, they were okay. And we, we had fun, like friends. But I had really bad experiences with this website with three guys because they, they took me in a wrong way. Because I was, you know, like, I mean, Spanish people and, and Ecuadorian people. We are really touching. I know, I know, touching. Touchy, <laughs> touchy-feely. Tactile, tactile. Exactly. And, you know, and I, I, I always try to be friendly with people, even though I don't know them. But they didn't understand the way that I am. I am. Or maybe they didn't understand our culture, like the touching thing. So they thought I, that I wanted to have something with them. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite common for British guys and maybe American guys as well. And I don't know, non-Spaniards uh, to get the wrong idea. So we, what was the thing you said to me? Because we'd met, we were having a conversation the first time we'd met. And you wanted to make it quite clear. Well, you can say it. Karina <laughs> <laughs> said, listen, I'm not, I'm not looking for anything, okay? I just want to practice my uh, English. Nothing more, nothing else. And then here we are, getting married next year. <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> I caught you. <laughs> so there you go. That's how Karina and I met. Suzanne Alb asks me, in your Do's and Don'ts episode, you mentioned living in the US for four years. Where did you live and what brought you over here? Hi, Suzanne. It's true. Yes, I did live in the USA. Um, not for four years. I actually lived in the USA for just over two years. It was in around 2003, I think, that I made the move out to the USA. I went out there because uh, I was inspired by a friend of mine, British guy, who'd secured an internship and had started living out in the US, a very close friend of mine from back home in Oxford. Again, similar kind of situation. I went out and visited him and I, I really liked it. At that stage, I was in my mid-twenties. I suppose. I realised that National Public Radio, NPR, I'm sure that everyone who's in the US is familiar with NPR radio. I actually applied to do an internship, a radio production internship with NPR radio. And I was lucky enough to get accepted onto the internship, which involved spending at that time, um, I think, four months in Washington, D.C. And then I was posted out to a radio station, an affiliate radio station in a very random place. 
Um, basically in central Florida. So I lived in central Florida for nearly two years, uh, working for an affiliate radio station down there called WMFE, which was just outside Orlando in a little town called Winter Park. Um, kind of a bizarre place to be based, but it was a really interesting experience uh, for me. I really enjoyed my time in America. Um, I spent a lot of time traveling around uh, certainly the uh, east coast of America. Uh, I had my good friend living up in Washington, D.C., uh, made the trip up and down the I-95 many times and uh, explored a lot of Florida and the kind of panhandle and uh, the southern states of uh, America as well. I loved it. Really enjoyed my time there. Met some really uh, friendly and inspiring and cool people. My boss uh, was a fantastic mentor. I mean, I was actually there in Florida during the time of, I think it was Hurricane Charlie, which was one of the, one of the worst... Uh, hurricanes to cross central florida in you know in decades and i remember that experience and i think i came back after my visa expired and i did sort of see myself maybe trying to go back and live in the u.s again but it never happened and you know i'm completely happy now to be in spain some people might ask me how did i manage to go and uh, work in the u.s uh, and do an internship there for that amount of time. Uh, I don't know if it still exists. At that time, there was a visa called a J-1 visa, which is called a cultural exchange visa. And you can only apply for it once in your life. Once you've had it once, you can't have it again. AJ Clark asks me, what do you miss about the UK that you don't have in Spain? <laughs> I think, you know, to be honest, I, I suppose a lot of people expect people like me who've moved away from the home country to Spain to say, oh God, I miss loads of things. I've got to be honest with you. I, there, are, there isn't actually that much much that I miss from back home, if I'm being honest. I think maybe my first year or two, I got a little bit homesick occasionally, but I think that was more for people more than anything else, my friends and family. However, I think I, I miss, um, I mean, I mean, and this is based on living in Madrid, don't forget. I would say I miss the kind of changing of the seasons. I miss Slay's sort of British autumn it's cold and you get that damp smell in the air and you get the leaves falling i mean you get that in madrid you get the leaves falling i can't really explain it i just miss the seasons more because in madrid it's sort of like you go from almost winter almost immediately to summer someone flicks a switch and it's really hot and you don't have that transitional period i miss a good traditional english pub and I miss a good pint of traditional English ale, <laughs> I suppose. And I miss kind of pub gardens and the kind of meeting up with friends in the summer. Because the UK is gorgeous when the weather's good. So if you get a good summer in the UK, you know, it's one of my favourite places to be. The only problem is the summer's very short in the UK. Or sometimes you don't really get one. or It's very unreliable. Traditional English pubs, which I think are a bit more cosy and homely compared to Spanish bars, which are a bit more kind of bright and harsh and noisy and less cosy. I miss that. I was going to say, you know, if I'd have been asked this question 15 or 20 years ago i would have said oh i miss english tv i miss the bbc i miss channel 4 um but you know that's not a problem anymore because i can access all of the uk tv channels that i like or programs that i like via the internet i miss my family and friends i guess i would say i miss sometimes being around other british people most of my socializing is with spaniards and so I find that even though my level of Spanish is pretty good now, that you're never really quite the same person as you are in your native language. And I mean, being able to express yourself perfectly, um, you know, jokes, sarcasm, little quips, um, also having the same 
frame of reference culturally as as uh, as people that you socialize with on a regular basis like most of my friends here are spanish and so i can't really just go off on a tangent and make a reference to something very specifically british because they won't have a, a clue what i'm talking about and now having said that i have got a, a little circle of british friends here in madrid and so i do get my fix also I would say that's kind of maybe tied into the sense of humor i do miss the british sense of humor a little bit i'm not saying that spaniards don't have a sense of humor but i think it's some somewhat different i think the british sense of humor is very much uh to do with sarcasm and irony and uh kind of needling your friends and piss taking and that and i miss that a bit because i my experience spaniards don't really seem to have that kind of sense of humor or they don't have that sense of humor with each other uh you know as part of a group of a group of close friends the other thing i would say i'd miss is having a bit more space in terms of living space now i grew up in the uk and for the most part in the uk most people live in houses and they have a garden you know at least a small outdoor space which is quite green and a patio and you can sit outside now living in madrid and i think in spain in general if you live in any big towns or cities you end up living in apartments trish says i know you've been in spain for quite some time but if you could live anywhere else other than madrid where would it be and why ah oh, trish what a question can i really pin it down to one other place i don't think i can now i've got to say i'm i think there are kind of two camps of people there are people who love the kind of verdant damp drizzly north of spain and there are people which i probably would say i am more of who like the kind of deep south of spain andalusia now i absolutely love the north of spain i think it's spectacularly beautiful places that i would choose to live are actually probably in the south of spain purely because coming from the very center of the uk in a very green oxfordshire for me to move to the north of spain i think would be quite similar and i think i've got to admit the weather is a factor would i want to live in the north of spain where they have great summers where they're not too hot but where the winter months will be pretty damp and rainy. And, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to escape leaving the UK. I'm going to say for me personally, um, Cadiz and all of that kind of Costa de la Luz, I really like. I think Cadiz is a beautiful city. Um, that decadent charm about it, really fascinating history, like geographically as well. I love it. Um, I think the city itself, the old centre is really beautiful. It's very deep south. Would I live there? Probably not, because in terms of work opportunities, pretty um, pretty tough. And it's, I think, one of the poorest cities in Spain, actually. I love Seville. I mean, who doesn't love Seville? But I couldn't live there. I'm bearably hot in the summer. And, you know, if I'm moving from Madrid, I'm going to want to live by the sea, if I'm honest. So I'm going to go um, Malaga. Some of you may have heard, actually, in a episode I did uh, about Malaga. Our plan, actually, Karina and I, our plan is to relocate to Malaga to live and possibly buy somewhere in the next 18 months. I really like Malaga because, for me, it kind of has a little bit of everything. Now, it's a decent-sized city, about half a million. Lots going on there. Really beautiful, the historic centre, the little marble, uh, narrow streets, uh, great food, lots of seafood. It's a beach city, but you also you've got, 
you know, going uh, east from Malaga, you've got lots of more kind of quieter, slightly more rugged beaches as well. And it's more affordable as well. It's quite affordable city in terms of buying or renting. And also like from there, you've got you've got lots of places uh, easily accessible. You've got the Montes de Malaga. You've got all of the Pueblos Blancos. You've got the Albujaras nearby. You've got um, Granada just up the road. You're not too far away from all of the other places along the coast. It's a well-connected city. You can get the uh, Ave train directly from Malaga to Madrid. It's only two and a half hours, so still well-connected to the capital where we have friends and family. It's got a very good airport connections, flights, international flights, regional flights, and flights back to the UK. We've got a very kind climate, especially in the winter months. And the winter here in Madrid gets pretty cold and sometimes actually colder than back in my hometown. I have to sort of take some of my Spanish friends to task sometimes when they say, oh, God, the weather in the UK is terrible, isn't it? And I'm like, well, actually, today it's warmer in Oxford than it is in Madrid. So not necessarily. I'm not someone who could really live in a small town or a small pueblo. So I kind of need that kind of hustle and bustle and a bit of a bit of a buzz, but not on the level maybe as Madrid or Barcelona or Valencia. Having said that, I do like Valencia. I'm very fond of Valencia as a city. It was one of the first places as an adult that I spent any decent amount of time. And I think Valencia is a great city. Karina doesn't like it. I'm not quite sure why. With Madrileños, Valencia and other Spaniards from other parts of Spain, for some reason, I don't know why, Valencia's got a bit of a bad rep. I've heard from my Spanish friends. Now, I don't know why, but I think it's a beautiful city. So Valencia as a city, uh, I think so. Maybe if I was much older and I really did want a really kind of quiet way of life, I would say then maybe northeast Spain, I guess Catalonia, a little fishing town or a little fishing village near the French border. Karina uh, asked me the question, what's your favourite place in Spain? I think I just answered that. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Heber Shishani says, have you visited many other countries in Europe? What sets Spain apart? Uh, Yeah, I haven't visited most of Europe, actually, apart from Scandinavia. So most of, I think, Northern Europe, Central and Eastern Europe and Southern Europe. I've, I've visited fairly extensively. What sets Spain apart? Like I said earlier, I think I just love the fact that Spain holds its traditions and its regionality so dear. And I think that's what makes Spain a fascinating country for me. Each region is, is pretty different from the other. And all of the influences and the fascinating history behind the country, uh, the friendliness of the people, the, the weather, I've got to say, is a big factor. I love Spanish food for the most part, the outdoor life lifestyle, the fact that children are involved in everything, all of the wacky fiestas and ferias that happen all around uh, Spain. Let's move on to the next section. Moving to Spain. Do you have any advice for students, auxiliary teaching assistants coming to the Madrid area in the next few months? Precautions for COVID or anything else foreigners should know? Well, um, if you're coming to work as a teacher or a teaching assistant uh, in Madrid or anywhere in Spain, I guess you've got to make sure you know what the situation is with your school. Make sure you know know if your hours are going to be affected. This has been a big debate in the last few days in Madrid of uh, students going back to school. How are they going to manage it? Are they going to go back? Are they going to go back full time? Are they going to just go back a couple of days a week? check with your school if you can if you know what your school is whether you're going to be teaching your full timetable or actually whether you're going to be only teaching two or three days a week i guess the other thing i'd say is just be prepared that anything could change at any time 
I mean, this is the reality of living in a global pandemic as we don't know what's going to happen. I get the impression uh, really that the Spanish government is very keen not to return to another full lockdown and quarantine. But I also get the feeling that, you know, there could realistically be the situation where we, we go back to one of the phases where things are more restricted again. So, again, it's a consideration to think about with your job. If your school suddenly decides to close, uh, you need to find out if there is a way that you can still teach through your school online or whether they're going to completely stop teaching altogether, which means you could stop earning money, which could also be a problem. Um, I'm hoping that everything will be fine for you. I'm sure it will be, but do have some kind of backup plan. The other thing is also if you're moving to Madrid, and I guess maybe this year it may be different because fewer people are going to come because of COVID-19 to teach. But normally in Madrid, it's very, very competitive and pretty difficult to find a place to live. Don't turn up and just give yourself a couple of days to find a flat to rent or a room to rent. Give yourself a couple of weeks if not more, to be honest. I think this year it probably is going to be a little bit easier because I think simply there are fewer people coming to Madrid to teach this academic year than there normally would be. So maybe it won't be so much of a problem. Stu MCF 68 says, I'm in the process of moving to Madrid. What would you recommend that I do first to integrate into my new life as a madrileño? I've noticed you've said Stu madrileño, by which I assume that you're quite keen to hang out with the locals, speak Spanish, integrate into the local lifestyle my advice quite simply is try and make friends with with the locals as much as possible you might think how do i do that well my advice is going to be try and find an intercambio there are numerous intercambio groups advertised uh, on the internet on facebook groups madrid facebook groups i don't know what the situation is going to be with covid19 at the moment i don't know if they're all running the same as normal but that is definitely an option. You know, you, you want to be making friends with the locals as soon as possible. And intercambios or language exchanges are a really good way to do that. That is, they're normally organised in pubs and bars and cafes. And you meet up once or twice a week for a couple of hours with Spaniards. You spend half the time speaking in English and half the time speaking in Spanish. And as I said earlier, quite often, if you get on well with these people, you end up becoming friends and you end up uh, socialising with them outside of the whole intercambio thing. And in the end, you just meet up together as friends and then you get to know their friends and so on and so forth and the rest is history and who knows you might end up getting married to one of them but intercambio is a good way to do it um, but as I say with COVID-19 don't know how that's going to be working the other thing you could do is find a one-to-one intercambio like uh, uh, me and Karina did there's a good website called Conversation Exchange I believe and I think there are a couple of others where you can put a little advert about yourself and uh, people get in touch you'll get a whole load of emails the other thing I would suggest is is if you've got any hobbies or sports that you play, see if you can join any groups uh, that offer those sports or hobbies. The other thing I would suggest doing, if possible, is when you're looking for somewhere to live, try and live with Spanish people or try and live with Spanish speakers. Um, that's what I always did. I think the, the, the temptation is if you end up living with uh, native English speakers, that you're just going to end up speaking in English most of the time with them. And you're also probably going to end up socialising in English as well, with them or their friends and acquaintances. And my last piece of advice on that, which I kind of said already, is dedicate as much time as is feasible and that you feel comfortable with learning Spanish, improving your Spanish. The better your Spanish is, the more you're going to be able to communicate with the locals and the more you're going to be able to integrate and the more you're going to be able to make friends and the more you're going to feel part of life here. Jipe Martins. I've just moved to Madrid and I want 
uh, to meet people? How can I do it with the city partly closed? Yeah, I think basically everything I've just said. Son Sarah Michelle asks, do the native people frown upon Americans moving to Spain? Uh, Why would they frown on Americans moving to Spain? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I just think simply native people will frown upon anyone coming here who doesn't really like to integrate, who's a bit rowdy and annoying. And I'm just thinking of drunk British people. Spanish people don't like that. No, I don't think uh, native people frown upon Americans at all. Why would they? And I don't think Spanish people frown on anyone for moving to their country. I think as long as you show respect, as long as you make an effort to try and speak the language as much as you can. Miriam Oregan Roman, I think that's how I pronounce your name, Miriam. She says, where did you move from? We want to move from New York. Well, I moved from the UK, from Oxford. Now, when I moved, the UK was, was, well, still is part of the European Union. So in terms of, if I think if that's what you're meaning, like paperwork-wise, visas, for me, it was pretty straightforward because I had a, an, a European Union passport when I still have an EU passport. So I think for a European Union citizen, it's not difficult. You can come, you can move here, no problem. If you're moving from the New York, um, you're going to have to look in the vi- into the visa situation and look at various visas. Now, I'm not a visa expert. I will actually be putting uh, an episode together with a visa expert and a relocation expert in the next couple of weeks, which I think is going to be really useful, especially for any Americans planning to come and live and work and move to Spain. For you, you're not going to just be able to simply up and move here without having some kind of job secured first, which will then in turn sponsor your visa. Teaching is an option. Uh, The Auxiliars program. I I don't know how old you are. I don't know what your situation is, whether you have children or not. Stay tuned to this podcast because I will be putting an episode together about this. Uh, Raul Luis Pereira says, I'm moving to Barcelona with a young family. What are the things we should look out for? It's quite a big question. I'm assuming if you're moving with a young family, the most important thing you're going to need to consider is your children's education. By that, I mean you're going to need to think about what kind of school you want them to attend. Now, in Spain, you've got really kind of three systems, I suppose. Private schools, uh, which can be quite expensive. You've got the public uh, school system. You've also got these schools which are called concertadas, which are kind of half private, half public. You have to pay fees, but they are a lot uh, cheaper than the private schools. And then I guess you have international schools as well, of which there are many, certainly in Barcelona. You're going to want to think about, do you want your children to be educated in English, in which case an international school might be a better option? Do you want them to start uh, picking up and learning Spanish? Spanish as soon as possible. I don't know, Raul, whether your children already speak fluent Spanish or not, in which case the state public education system would be suitable. The thing to consider with Barcelona is that in the uh, public school system, most classes are taught in Catalan. Now, if your children already speak Spanish, then they may not have too much problem picking up Catalan as a, as another as a second language or as a third language I don't know um, but you, you need to take that into account in Barcelona and in Catalonia uh, schools teach all subjects in Catalan that is going to be something to think about uh, not so much for you if you're going to work in uh, in Barcelona you may only need uh, Castellano um, maybe some Catalan I don't know I think but I think for your children for them to integrate well to make friends take into account that if they make friends at school their families of their friends are going to be Catalan and they're probably very likely going to be speaking and communicating in in Catalan most of the time even though they will speak Castellano 
Perfectly. The other thing I would say to consider is what kind of neighbourhood do you want to live in? Barcelona is a big city. You've got the kind of central downtown neighbourhoods, which are quite noisy and busy. Are you going to want to have a car when you're living there? Or are you going to want to consider one of the kind of satellite towns just outside Barcelona where you're going to have more space? It's going to be a bit quieter, probably more family orientated in general, those kinds of neighbourhoods. And also the more outer neighbourhoods of Barcelona as well. thing you really need to think about above all else is the schooling that you want for your children. And I would say consider that first let that kind of dictate almost where you live in the city on that note i'm actually going to refer you raul to a couple of previous episodes i made that talk about this in a lot more detail in terms of neighborhoods in barcelona what they're like i put an episode together one of the early when in spain episodes actually it was episode number five and it is literally called where to rent in spain cities and neighborhoods and in that episode i talk about barcelona i talk about other spanish cities as well but i do talk quite a lot about barcelona the different neighborhoods the kind of costs of renting and kind of what they're like so check that episode out also check out the episode I made basically called Moving to Spain with Children. I recorded the episode with Lisa Sadlier, who's an expert on helping people relocate to Spain, particularly those who have children. She actually has her own website called Family Life in Spain. She's also written a book with the same title, I believe. Uh, if we're talking about Barcelona, I did an episode called Madrid versus Barcelona, comparing the incomparable with a guy called Daniel Welsh, who at the moment is living in Barcelona. And this is just more general information about the city itself. Uh, we talk a lot about Barcelona, what it's like to live there. So that could also be uh, a useful information for you as well, Raul. Okay, moving on to COVID-19. Ah, uh, COVID-19. I was hoping we could avoid talking about the dreaded COVID. <laughs> but no, it's it's fine. It's obviously um, pertinent and very relevant questions at this time of uncertainty. And while uh, cases in Spain are on the up again, unfortunately, Hansel Williams asks, do you think Spain will survive the economic fallout from the coronavirus plus the political issues currently brewing? Wow, again, it's a huge question and it's sort of ever-changing. Do I think Spain will survive? Don't know. I saw on the news yesterday that something like 30% of independent businesses which had closed during the lockdown, 30% of them are on the verge of bankruptcy. 30%, huge. It's a huge problem for independent small businesses. I really don't know. I think what we're going to see ahead of us, and I think this goes for most countries around the world, is that, and especially taking into account the fact that Spain relies fairly heavily on tourism, that it is going to be a big problem for Spain. I think we're going to see at least a couple of years of economic downturn. I think Spain um, last month returned to recession. I mean, it's just very difficult to say at this point what the long-term future is economically. I I find that very difficult question to answer. Yes, it is being politicised left, right and centre. The sad thing to see with this current situation of COVID-19 is just how much the political parties are using it against each other and also how the kind of uh, right-wing party Vox are using it in a a quite ugly way of big protest in the centre of Madrid a week or two ago with uh, lots of uh, Vox supporters, hundreds and hundreds of them gathering without masks, saying that they feel that uh, being made to wear a mask in public places is 
is terrorism. I've heard some people describing it as terrorism. The last I heard yesterday was that the Spanish central government have decided to uh, devolve the decision-making process out to the regions, which is ironically something that the right had campaigned for at the beginning of the situation, saying that uh, each region should be allowed to decide how they manage lockdown, how they manage the kind of return to new normal after lockdown, which the, the the centralized Spanish government did not do. And now that the Spanish government, centralized government, have said, um, okay, we think the best way to manage this situation with the uh, COVID 19 cases on the rise again is to let each region decide for itself how they manage the situation, uh, which now the right. Uh, the PP party are saying that they're not happy about uh, it should be the the country should be led by the central government on these decisions so it's being politicized massively which I find pretty disgusting and ugly uh, given the gravity of the situation but of course it's going to happen and I think it's not you know it's obviously Spain isn't the only place uh, where this is happening. David Denny says, one of the things I love about Spain is the gregarious nature of society and how touchy-feely it is compared to Britain or Ireland. I'd be interested in your thoughts on how Spanish society's social interactions may evolve into the future as we all learn to live with COVID. It's a really good question. Well, you could say that one of the reasons why the COVID has started to spike again in Spain is because people find it very difficult to maintain distance, social distancing and not be touchy-feely. All of my Spanish friends respect this. They're not hugging and giving each other dos besos all the time, although I do see people doing it. And I do see people crammed together on terrazas, on outside uh, seating areas of bars and things, you know, obviously don't live together, very touchy-feely, sitting very close to each other. I don't know if we're going to see it disappear, to be honest. I really don't think so. I think even the people who follow the rules, who maintain the social distancing, I think this kind of touchy-feeliness is just ingrained in the Spanish DNA. And even if we're in this situation, and God forbid, you know, for another year or two, I don't think as soon as people are allowed to do it again, they will do it. I just think it's such a Spanish thing, as you say, to be touchy-feely. I don't think six months or a year or two years or whatever it is, of not being able to do this is going to suddenly kind of eradicate it. Uh, I think people here in Spain, as soon as they can, will. And many of them still are, uh, whether they should be or not is the question. Um, The other thing I have noticed sort of related to this question is that uh, um, it seems that uh, bigger Spanish companies seem to be finally getting their head around the idea that people can work remotely successfully and productively. I think I've noticed uh, since living in Spain and having worked for some Spanish companies and indeed having uh, my uh, fiancé Karina who works for a law firm and uh, other Spanish friends who work for big Spanish companies, it does finally seem that they are moving into the 21st century and sort of opening their minds up a bit to the idea of flexible working, flexi time, staggered working hours, working from home, all of these kinds of things, which I think has already existed for a long time in in other maybe northern European countries, in the UK, in America. For me, there always seemed to be this suspicion in Spanish companies that, oh, no, we can't trust our employees to work from home because if you're not in the office, basically you're not doing anything. And I think one thing that COVID-19, one positive thing that has come out of it is that these bigger Spanish companies now have realised we're in the 21st century, everyone has internet, and computers at home and everyone can 
in these kinds of jobs can work remotely successfully and then actually in many cases are more productive. I've got a friend of mine who works for the headquarters of Santander Bank. Uh, Santander, as of next year, are going to offer those who work in the office-based jobs the opportunity to work permanently from home. And that's, you know, one of Spain's biggest, if not the biggest, financial institutions. So I think it's kind of changing that mindset that you don't have to be sitting in the office in sight of your boss to be trusted to work efficiently. Haber Shishani, I've noticed, Haber, you've snuck in two questions. <laughs> she says, I'm planning on moving back to Spain in the next few months. I worry about things being very different with the pandemic. Is there still a solemn vibe in the air or do things feel somewhat normal again? Well, I'm going to say in Madrid, things do feel somewhat normal again. There is that kind of buzz on the street, certainly the weekends. You know, Spanish people love to enjoy themselves. They love socialising. They like going out. They like being outside. And from my point of view, this is what I'm seeing in Madrid. There is more of a buzz in the streets, particularly at the weekends. Bars, cafes, restaurants are open. Um, you know, you are at the moment only allowed to meet up again with a, a maximum of 10 people. It doesn't feel like it did way back at the beginning quarantine and in phase zero and phase one when it was horrible and Madrid was just empty and it was like a ghost town and it felt really weird it is somewhat normal again I would say that and also last weekend having traveled to uh, the beach just south of Valencia we caught the train going the train was busy the beach was busy but people were maintaining the the distancing Bars and terrazas were open. I think the only thing is that I've noticed that there are just far fewer tourists all over Spain. And certainly in Madrid, uh, you notice that there are just uh, the level of tourism is much, much lower than it normally is. OK, let's uh, move on. Talking about the podcast itself, the When in Spain podcast, which I must say, guys, is available on all podcast apps. It's also available to stream on the When in Spain podcast website, uh, which is wheninspainpodcast.com. I'll also use this opportunity to remind people that there is a When in Spain Facebook group. There is a When in Spain Instagram page, which is uh, the handle is at When in Spain one. Do go and follow. I'm trying to get my Instagram count up a bit. If you've got Instagram and you like to see photos from Spain, from Madrid, photos that relate to the numerous episodes of the podcast, go and follow me on uh, Instagram. Handle is when in Spain one. So the question is from Valentina Ruffoni, who's a friend of the podcast. She appeared as a guest a few months back, well, I think last year, talking about eating out in Madrid and her Eat Out Madrid community. Her question is, what made you decide to start a podcast? I think really it's something I've been thinking about doing for quite a long time. When I first moved to Spain, I thought, hmm, one day I'm going to start a podcast about my experience of moving and living here. And really as a kind of creative outlet for me, really. I come from a background in journalism and specifically broadcast journalism. And I worked for many years in radio. And I kind of missed, I missed it. I missed it. I hadn't been doing it for quite a few years in the UK either. But I thought... I felt inspired. Coming to Spain, a uh, new experience, starting a new life. It was like the perfect thing uh, to use um, to create a podcast, to talk about it and just wanting to share the information, really. I think if I had just stayed in the UK, I don't think I would have started a podcast about anything because I don't think there was anything that really I felt passionately or strongly about 
or that I had some kind of insight or experience or something to say, really. I don't think I, I would have had that had I not moved to Spain. So that was one factor. I wanted to kind of share my experiences. I wanted to have the creative outlet. Um, the other thing was is that I used to listen to podcasts about Spain a lot when I was back in the UK, and I just realized how valuable they were and how they really kind of helped inspire me, how they helped transport me to Spain when I knew I'd made the decision that I'd wanted to move. Um, I just found them a really great resource. Uh, so I just thought I wanted to contribute to that and do something as well. Um, I mentioned it, I think, in the very first episode of When in Spain, that one of my big inspirations to start the podcast was actually a guy called Ben Curtis, Ben and Marina, um, who do the uh, Notes in Spanish podcast for learning Spanish. And before they started that, and this is going back years ago, um, they did a podcast called Notes from Spain. And uh, it was their insights fairly similar to what I do, uh, their insights on life in Spain and in Madrid. And uh, I used to listen to it. I was addicted to it. I listened to it loads. Um, and I had the great pleasure, actually, uh, a couple of times since I've been living in Madrid to meet up with Ben and Marina. In fact, I recorded a When in Spain podcast episode <laughs> with Ben and Marina, um, I think last year or maybe the year before, quite a long time ago. And it was great to meet them. And I think they, they kind of stopped doing that Notes, in, uh, Notes from Spain podcast. And I really missed it. And so part of the reason why I decided to start uh, When in Spain was kind of kind of picking up the baton almost and continuing with it, continuing along the similar lines. Um, so that was certainly a big part of the um, my inspiration for starting the podcast as well. Rich Munith says, hey, Paul, what is your theme music? Yeah, I've been asked this a few times, actually. The track is called, quite simply, Costa del Sol, and the artist is called Christophe goes g-o-z-e or g-o-z-e it's the french spelling of christophe okay next question from sincerely spain ah sincerely spain fantastic blog about spain run by danny and claudia but your question sincerely spain was i've enjoyed the sounds of the streets and bars in some of the out and about podcast episodes you've done however down here in granada it would feel quite unusual if someone were walking around recording essentially talking to themselves in English. Did you feel at all uncomfortable doing this? Did you warn the bars you went to ahead of time to avoid getting so many questions on tape? That's a really, really good question. Yeah, I really like to try where relevant and where possible to include these kind of background sounds of the street and bars and markets and outdoor hubbub to help transport you guys the listeners to Spain. How do I do it? Well, actually, I've come up with a fairly basic, very basic and ingenious way of recording in environments where I wouldn't want to be walking around with a big microphone in my hand. And you're right, talking to myself, essentially, in English would be weird. Um, what I do with those kinds of episodes where I'm in a bar or a cafe or wandering around places where there are lots of people and I'm gonna, it's going to look a bit weird, is I use my, my phone voice recorder. It's as simple as that. So what I do, I've got an iPhone. What I do is I set the voice recorder recording. My phone's got a well, really good uh, microphone on it. The built-in microphone is good enough to, to use for podcasts. And what I do is I set the, the voice recorder going and I just hold the phone up against my ear as if I was having a conversation with someone on the other end of the phone. Obviously, yes, yeah, speaking in English, so they know I'm English. 
But no one really looks at me because they can see me holding the phone up against my ear as if I were just having a conversation with anyone. Most people don't really can't understand what I'm saying anyway. So I can sit at a bar with people all around me and the bartender standing right in front of me. And I'm just talking about, yeah, so I'm here. I've just ordered a Kenya, blah, 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 recording the podcast. And they just think I'm speaking on the phone. And it's as simple as that. The other thing I did is I invested in a little clip-on microphone, which I can plug into my phone as well. In fact, all of my recording, my recording device for this podcast is my iPhone. Not some fancy, expensive recorder. It's everything is recorded into my iPhone and then uploaded to the computer to edit. Yeah, I bought a little clip-on microphone. So sometimes if I'm walking around where there are fewer people, it's less obvious, I just have this clip-on mic, you know clipped onto my jacket or my t-shirt and I've got my phone in my hand Uh, so you can go anywhere really just pretend you're talking on your phone the other thing to record the interviews that I do with guests is I have got a proper plug-in handheld microphone like an interview microphone I found that's much easier and a lot of my interviews I've recorded in bars and terrazas and things and I've got my microphone out and it's never been an issue no one's ever really said anything or said you can't record here I've never ever had that one time I did record an episode with I think it was Sepi Tabibian about moving to Spain later on in life and we recorded in a little cafe and I had this kind of, well, it's a professional microphone, and I was recording the interview with her and sat down. It looked quite serious. And after I left, <laughs> Seppi me- messaged me afterwards saying, oh, guess what? The, the, bar, the barman or the, the guy in the cafe who works there just came over to me and asked if I was famous because <laughs> I've been sat there interviewing her. That's how I do it. That's the secret. Um, super basic. Uh, Matt Ham, Hi, Matt, who is a fantastic When in Spain patron and actually also comes from a town very near to where I grew up in the UK. Matt says, Paul, after a while listening to your podcast and watching your videos, etc., I feel like I know you as a friend. Oh, that's great. Uh, when I come to Madrid to visit, I would feel mortally wounded if we didn't meet up for a quick drink to say hello. I totally agree with you, Matt. It would be great to meet up the next time you're in Madrid or I'm down uh, where you are. So my question is, do you ever meet up with the people that follow your podcast? And if so, any funny stories in regards to that? Um, great question. And I'm delighted to say that, yes, I have met up with a handful of When in Spain listeners uh, as they've been passing through Madrid. And it's been absolutely absolutely fantastic what a great experience it's kind of surreal actually i've uh, met up with i think four five six five or six when in spain listeners all of whom have been american actually we've gone for beers and tapas and i've kind of showed them around bits of the city i've gone for lunch with some of them i do meet up with the listeners and i love meeting up with my listeners and it's just a real treat to meet them in person so long may that continue and that's one thing i must say that i've loved about doing this podcast is that i love the having the interaction with you guys you guys are fantastic it's great knowing that i'm not just speaking down the microphone to myself i love the interaction and the feedback I get in the When in Spain uh, Facebook group and emails and meeting you guys in person has been amazing. But not just that, it's been a really great way of meeting people who live here in Madrid, you know, especially the guests that I've uh, that I've had the pleasure of interviewing. Any funny stories? Well, not really. I think the thing that's quite amusing at first is trying to recognise each other. So I've obviously always met up in public places and sort of, is that them? Is that them? Okay, so with that, we'll conclude part one of these two episodes of Ask Me Anything. In part two, we're kicking off talking about food, your questions all about food and drink. We're also talking about different parts of Spain to live. And we're talking a little bit about culture and history as well. So if you've enjoyed part one, 
I will speak to you again in part two. See you there. Hasta luego. Hasta luego.